Uh, if David continues to do uh, introductions from that bio I sent like that, I'll take him wherever I go. But there's uh, one part of that uh, bio that uh, is not mentioned, and it really is the source of why I've come. Um, when it's all said and done, I am the son of a blue-collar glass worker from West Virginia, and I'm the son of a, a deli clerk in a grocery store. And in the midst of what is uh, these days a very complex world where it's hard for us to understand how to make it through and what decisions we need to make both individually and as a culture, I believe that there are simple words for a complex world. And I hearken back to those days in my upbringing. And so there are four simple words during our time together this week. Relationships, faith, attitude, and joy. Simple words for a complex world. Would you walk with me into the heart of God as we share the gospel lesson today? And if you would honor the Lord by standing, if you're able, that would be great. John chapter 4, beginning with verse 5. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, I, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drink from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I give will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water leading to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may, full, may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, So, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What, what you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors, I'm having a hard time reading my scripture. Let me switch. My 50-plus eyes are at work. <laughs> Jesus said to her, Sir, the woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. 
You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God for a large print. (laughs) My goodness gracious sakes alive, what a way to begin. Would you join me in prayer? God of grace, we give you thanks for this day and for this precious opportunity that's been given to us. We pray that we may take advantage of it by fully being present in these moments. Come, Holy Spirit, come and be our guest, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Many of you, no doubt, have heard the story of the young girl who is watching her mother prepare the Easter ham. And she asks her mother, Mom, Why do you cut both ends of the ham off before you put it in the pan? And the mother said, well, it's what my mother did. And so the girl went to her grandmother and said, Grandma, why do you cut both ends of the ham off before you put it in the oven? And she said, well, it's what my mother did. And so the girl eventually had opportunity to visit with her great-grandmother, and she said, great-grandmother, why is it that you cut both ends of the ham off before you put it into the pan? Whereupon the great-grandmother said, It's easy. Back in my day, I didn't have a pan big enough. I had to cut it in order to fit the pan. We've always done it that way. We know that rhythm. We know that routine. We use that line. We've always done it that way. Jesus encountered people and situations that had fit into that rhythm as well. We have always acted this way. We have always done it this way. 
That is the essence of this gospel lesson. For Jesus is traveling from Judea to Galilee through Samaria. Now, Palestine was 120 miles long with Judea in the south, Galilee in the north, and Samaria right in the middle. And it's simply this. Jesus is taking the quickest route right through Samaria to get to his final destination. That sounds sensible. But this is highly unusual because there's a bitter feud that's existing between the Jews and the Samaritans. It all started back in 720 B.C. There was a war, and Samaria was captured by the Assyrians. And what was traditional at that time was that when a capture took place, the native people were often shipped away, this time to Media. And what happens when they were shipped away is that oftentimes there, is, there was intermarrying and intermingling that took place. That was fine for the day, except for the Jews. They didn't believe in it. It was unforgivable to intermarry and intermingle. So much so that when a Jew would intermarry or intermingle, that family would hold a funeral for that person because they considered them to be dead. So this feud Lasting for 750 years, a belief that Samaritans were unclean sinners. And a Jew was under an order, especially a rabbi, that if you could avoid Samaria, you avoided it at all costs. And if you couldn't avoid it, you didn't talk to anyone while you walked through that land. Very unacceptable. So... This man that we often read about in places like this, this Jesus, this renegade, did something very unusual, very unacceptable. He not only walked through Samaria, he talked to a Samaritan. And he not only talked to a Samaritan, he talked to a woman who was considered to be good for nothing more than to reproduce. And so it's very understandable that in this story, when Jesus approaches this woman and asks for a drink from this well, this woman says, in effect, Hi, hold on a minute. How is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Now, it might be that our natural reaction in this sanctuary today is, thank goodness those days have changed. Thank goodness we don't have those rules and laws that are, are binding us. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe times have changed. But maybe they haven't. There are still lots of unwritten laws Many unconfirmed assumptions as we go through our existence. And you have to ask the question today, in this culture, in our time, how prevalent is sympathy? How do we cross the lines to relate to one another? How willing are we to build relationships? This story shows us the greatest character of Jesus. 
He broke down the barriers. He talked when no one else would talk. He compelled a woman to realize her need. He opened a door so that she could not only find acceptance, but her own self-worth. He treated her not as a Samaritan, but as a person who was worthy of love and care. Now this Jesus, he set the bar pretty high. This story represents, I believe, one of the greatest challenges of our own era. It is a simple word in a complex world. It's all about relationship. I have a signature story that I tell most places that I go, and it's a story that lives with me every single day of my life. I am a pastor in West Virginia at the time. I have a speaking engagement at one of our local camps. I go to that camp, and I find that my speech has been bumped to a later time. And I get really upset about being bumped to a later time because I've got something else to do that day. But I hung around, and I gave my speech. When I gave my speech, I left. I got on the cell phone. I called my wife. I said, you know, I'm not coming home for dinner, honey. I've got to get to the next appointment. I'm just going to slide into this new Wendy's in Spencer, West Virginia, and get a sandwich. So I pull up to the uh, drive-thru, and I encounter Charlie Brown's mother. Welcome to Wendy's. May I help you? I said, I want a chicken sandwich with lettuce, ketchup, and pickle, and a Diet Coke. I pulled around to the window. I rolled down my window. I grunted at that woman. She grunted at me. I gave her my money. She gave me my change. I nodded my head. She nodded hers, and I went on down the highway. About five miles down the highway, my nostrils kicked into gear, and I smelled nothing. Here in my huff, I had paid that woman for my meal, and she had given me my change, and I forgot my bag of food. So it was then that I had a decision to make. Would my stomach win or would my ego win? My stomach won. I turned around and went back. I encountered Charlie Brown's mother once again at the drive-thru. Welcome to Wendy's. How may I help you? I said, in a minute. I pulled around to the window. I saw that bag of food in the window. I rolled down my window. I pointed my finger at that girl and I said, I'm having a very bad day. And she pointed her finger back at me and said, so was I until you came along. <laughs> now, now, that is my signature story, and, and here is my signature witness. I'm serving as a pastor of that same congregation. I, I wel I, I'm welcomed on the day that I arrived there by a woman who has more wrinkles than anybody I've ever met in my life. Her name was Hilda Odell. She was the rock of that church. She knocked on my door, I opened it, and she presented me with half of an apple pie. She said, you may be wondering, Pastor, I wanted to welcome you to your new congregation. You may be wondering why I just gave you half of an apple pie. I said, yeah, I'm kind of curious. Why just half? And she said, on the way here, somebody came to my mind who was having a bad time. And I thought, they might like half of an apple pie. And I thought that you could handle just getting half. 
Now, friends, I want to tell you today that there are droves of people in this world of ours who are having a bad day. There are droves of people who are desperately looking for hope and meaning in their lives and cannot seem to find it. There are people all across this world of ours who are desperate for someone to care enough to give them half of an apple pie. People who are void of relationship, skeptical of the human race, desperate for any sense of conscious awareness that somebody in this world cares about them. This gospel story is one of those stories that we ought to take out of the Bible, put in 2014, and find a way to make it apply in our lives as we strive to bear witness to the joy that we feel in this room to a world who desperately needs it. Let's try it. There's a business person who has a homely-looking family come into his office and explain that they cannot pay their bills. And they're having such a terrible time finding their way. Their kids are in and out of the hospital, and they've just lost a family member to death. And the business person's reply is, let me extend your bills for a while. And he finds a way every week or so to make sure that there's a bag of food that anonymously is set on the doorstep of that family. Or there's a business person who's approached by a homely-looking family who's just had a very difficult time. Their story is horrible. They've lost their jobs. Their kids are in and out of the hospital. They've had a death that occurred in their family, and they don't know their way. And hearing their story, the man replied, I'm sorry but I can't help you. You see, if I help you, I'll have to help everyone else. Later, he says to his secretary, how dare they ever came my way? People will take advantage of you all the time if you don't watch yourself. Let's try it again. There are teachers that go on a strike. The glad day comes when they go back to work. Those that cross the picket line and those who decided not to are back together again. And a teacher who picketed chose to approach one of the teachers who crossed the line and said these words. I want you to know that I know you probably agonized over your decision to cross the line as much as I made a decision not to. I may not understand all the time, but reaching out his hand, I want to bury the hatchet and realize that we've got to work together and I hope we can find our way. Or a group of teachers went on strike. The glad day came when they came back to work. Those that had crossed the line and those that had picketed were finally back together. And the lines had once again uh, been met. A teacher could not get over it. And he continued to egg the houses of the people who had crossed the line. And they never communicated with one another and could never get past the hard feelings that were harbored for years to come. Remember, that feud with the Samaritans lasted 750 years until Jesus came along. That's the line. 
until Jesus came along. The determining factor as to how we find ourselves building relationships, how we find ourselves crossing lines, how we find ourselves doing unexpected things in unexpected ways, how we reach out to a world who is desperate for us to come along is dependent upon the presence of Christ within us. Jesus Christ can guide us to work out our issues and build unexpected relationships with our Christian faith instead of in spite of our Christian faith. Two boys once left home to find their way, and they came upon a hermit. And when they engaged in conversation with the hermit, they asked the hermit for uh, an interpretation of their philosophies on life. The hermit said, I need to ask you a question first before I answer. How do you see people? The one boy replied, well, basically, I think people are self-centered, greedy, and cynical. The other boy said, well, I, I basically find that people are good and kind, sincere and well-intended. The hermit then replied, the people out in the world will readily be the same for each individual is the key to how she or he will find the other person. We are the key. But the question is, who is the key maker? Jesus found a woman at a well who was a person, a child of God who could love and could be loved, care and be cared for in spite of her status, in spite of her life. She was a person of worth. I watch us in our world today and it greatly concerns me that whether it be in Congress or the Senate or on a street in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we're having a really hard time relating to one another. We're kind of up against it in this complex world of trying to figure out how is it that we interact with one another. And I'm really glad during these next couple days we have a chance to have our lives intersected together so that we might find the good in one another and we might explore what it means to be in relationship. A relationship not only with each other, but a relationship with Jesus that will enable us to cross over into the Samarias of the world and reach out our hands to extend grace to someone who's waiting for us to come along. My first official work in the United Methodist Church was as a youth pastor in Clarksburg, West Virginia. I had this wonderful opportunity to en engage with all these young people, a and yet it was the adults of that church who really began to form and shape my call to ministry. There was a gentleman there who ran a gas station, and he was known as the community whistler. He whistled all the time. In fact, on Mondays through Fridays, he whistled the hymns that were sung in church on Sunday morning. And as people came to the gas station, he just whistled his way 
in and out of people's lives. He was a good man, a kind man. He extended grace. And I would say to you that as a young, new coming, emerging person in ministry, he showed me the love of Christ in a way that I could not imagine through a whistle. His name was Glenn Capehart. Just across the street from Reverend Capehart's business was another businessman. He also was a member of the church. I would sit as a young person new in ministry in committee meetings, and I noticed that this guy never had a positive thing to say about anybody. He never had a good thing to say about any decision made in the church. He would fuss and fume and blow smoke over any issue that came along. And in my family, we had a, a word that described that kind of a person. He was, in my mind, a grumble butt. funny I can't remember his name it's all about relationship fill my cup Lord fill it up and make me whole in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.